haven't been here for a couple weeks, or maybe you're visiting, we're doing a little bit different type of Christmas series this year, as our, our title is God's Presence. A lot of times we think of presence like under the tree or presence we give, but we've been focusing on the presence of God, who He is, as we've looked at God the Father. A couple weeks ago, we looked at God the Son last week, and this morning, we turn our attention to God the Spirit, as what is known as the doctrine of the Trinity, and we say God the Spirit, we're referring to what many of us know as the Holy Spirit, and you know, I grew up in church. Uh, I know many of us here have grown up in church, or we've been in church for a good portion of our, of our lives, and I, in particular, grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, I know that we have some here who did not grow up in a Southern Baptist church, but one thing I know in growing up in a Southern Baptist church is that I, I could not think back, and I couldn't remember this week too many lessons Sunday school lessons, uh, too many sermons that are actually focused on the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to sermons, that's probably more my fault than my father's um, because I, I, you know, I kind of just stared at him and I didn't really pay attention to words that were coming out of his mouth. Um, but I understood, you know, there was a Holy Spirit. I understood that when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, that God gave the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of me. I understood that the Spirit gave spiritual gifts to God's people. I didn't fully understand the meaning of that, but I understood it because I read it in the Bible. I'd heard of the passage out of Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came upon His people and the disciples began speaking in tongues, or what that word actually means is languages, so people could understand uh, the gospel message, but I didn't really understand the Spirit itself. And when it comes to the Spirit, and we'll drive this out as we walk through this this morning, the Spirit isn't an it. The Spirit is a he. It's given a personal pronoun throughout Scripture, and again, we'll look at that here in a moment. But as we've done for a couple of weeks, the last couple of weeks, in looking at this doctrine of the Trinity, uh, we're going to be looking at several different passages this morning. Some of them will be up behind me. Some of them I'll just tell you about, and you can read later, or you can just listen to. Um, but Normally, we focus on one particular passage. We're going to do that next Sunday when we bring this all together. But this morning, we're going to be looking at several different passages of Scripture. And so I felt God was leading me to preach this series. Uh, on this particular time of year, as we come to this, the Christmas season, uh, because the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 18, that no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. And Jesus came, and we celebrate Christmas and Jesus coming, to make God known. And so as God's people, as believers, we should know who he is. We may now have a full understanding of his majesty and his glory and all that he is, because we, we could spend a whole year just unpacking that. But we should have an understanding of who he is as God the Father, as God the Son, and as God the Spirit. The first thing I want us to understand about God the Spirit or the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit has always been. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which we looked at when we were looking at God the Father, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if you look there in verse 2, it says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and here it is, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Real quick, when it says that the earth was without form and void, what it's doing there in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, is saying that creation lacked order at that moment. 
It was very chaotic, and it wasn't going to have order until God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, all in one, began creating things. But we see right here from the beginning that the Spirit of God was there. The Spirit of God there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, is another way of what we refer to as the Holy Spirit. There are other phrases throughout Scripture that we can find referring to the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit, such as God's Spirit, or God, or the Spirit of the living God, or the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit would become the official term when we come to the New Testament, but you're going to find those other terms throughout Scripture. The point of the Spirit here in Genesis 1, verse 2, hovering over the face of the deep, is that it is delivering a sense of expectation and anticipation for what God is going to do in setting the creative work into place. It's, it's making us anticipate this miraculous that is about to happen, which it does when all three aspects of God begin creating and speaking things into existence. Now, just to know that the Holy Spirit isn't just here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, in Genesis chapter 41... Joseph, we may remember Joseph, you know, his brothers didn't like him. He's in prison, and he's in prison under Pharaoh's rule. Well, Joseph has interpreted a dream to a cupbearer and baker, one which the cupbearer was released, and he's in Pharaoh's court. Well, Pharaoh has a dream, but none of his magicians, none of his wise men can interpret the dream, and it is at that moment the cupbearer remembers, hey, there is a young Hebrew man down in your prison, who interpreted my dream and the baker, and he was spot on on what was going to take place. I wonder if he can interpret your dream. And so Pharaoh summons Joseph. He cleans him up a little bit, and Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream. Pharaoh and Joseph interprets the dream accurately, saying there's going to be so many years of plenty coming, and after that, there's going to be so many years of famine. After which Joseph tells Pharaoh, here's the plan we should set in place so we can survive this. And Joseph's question, or Pharaoh's question was, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? The phrase there in the Old Testament doesn't mean that Joseph had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him. What that phrase means is that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God was residing with him. It was guiding him. It was directing him. He was always in the presence of God's Spirit, which Joseph would later come to understand when his brothers finally would come to Egypt, and he would say that all this happened because this was God's plan. The Spirit of God has been with me throughout this whole thing. In Exodus chapter 31, God tasked Moses with building the tabernacle. As they were going to wander throughout the wilderness, this is going to be the place that is going to be symbolic of God's presence dwelling in the midst of his people. And so he tells Moses, this is what I want you to build. This is how you're going to build it. And then he tells Moses that there is a man from the tribe of Judah to which I have filled with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship in order to get this job done, Moses. And so we find the Spirit of God has come to give this person talents, which we'll come back to that here in a second. In Numbers chapter 24, Balak hires Balaam to pronounce a judgment upon God's people, but instead we're told in Numbers 24 too, the Spirit of God came upon him. And instead of pronouncing a judgment, he pronounces a blessing. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, after Saul is pronounced an anointed king, he comes amongst a group of prophets, which were told in 1 Samuel 10.10, 10, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. 
This was to fulfill Samuel's prophecy and to give the confirmation of Saul's kingship and his anointing. Job's friend, Elihu, understood it was the Spirit of God who made him in Job 34.4. Even though he got other things wrong, he understood that one thing. That it wasn't just God the creator, but the Spirit of God is what creates individuals. Throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of God comes upon kings. It comes upon armies. It comes upon prophets. The point is the Spirit of God has always been and will always be just as we've seen with God the Father and with God the Son. Now the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament activity of the Spirit is in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon God's people, while in the New Testament, the Spirit of God lives inside God's people. And we'll look at that a little bit more. The next thing we know about the Spirit of God through the Scriptures is the Holy Spirit is personal. And the Holy Spirit has a personality. And this should be good news for us. Because I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's not very personal or lacks a personality. It's kind of like being around that teacher from Ferris Bueller, right? Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is personal. It has a personality just as God is personal. And God has a personality just as Jesus was personal. And he has a personality We see this played out more so in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 10, the Spirit speaks to Peter. He tells Peter that there's a man named Cornelius who's going to be sending a couple men to meet him and bring him back to Cornelius. Interestingly enough, in this same sequence of events, Cornelius is spoken to by God, but not by the Spirit of God. He's spoken by an angel of the Lord. Why? Because the Spirit of God at this point in Acts is only with God's people, only resides in God's people. So it was the angel that spoke to Cornelius, because at this point in time, he is still unconverted. He's still a Gentile. In Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit speaks again. This time it is to the church in Antioch, to tell the church that they are to set apart Paul and Barnabas to go out on mission to take the gospel into the known world. And leading up to Acts, Jesus throughout the gospels, tried to prepare his disciples for the time when he, not would, he would not be with them physically anymore, but would be with them spiritually. In John 15, 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, and that word Helper can also be read as Counselor, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning." Again, personality, an individual. He's going to be a helper. He's going to be a counselor. He's going to be with us, giving us aid. He is going to deliver God's word to the people. He is going to help us become a witness. And notice there in John 15, 26 through 27, Jesus doesn't say the Holy Spirit in terms of it, but he says he will bear witness. The Holy Spirit is a person. The personality. In John 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus does it again. He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He speaks, or He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. And there's a lot there, but first we need an understanding that the Spirit and Jesus are one. 
They're working together. And just as Jesus is one with the Father, Jesus says the Spirit is one with me. Jesus says in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. And here in John 16, he refers to the Spirit in the same manner. He says he is the Spirit of truth, equality there. It is the personal touch of the Spirit which guides God's people. It's the personal touch of the Spirit which gives us the words to say when we witness and proclaim the gospel. We understand that the Spirit is going to be coming in authority, to which Jesus came in authority, in the authority of God. And now the Spirit is coming in authority of Christ. They're all working together. The Spirit, we're told, hears. And we're told the Spirit speaks. The Spirit glorifies the Son, just as the Son glorified the Father. And the Spirit is going to take or receive. The Spirit is going to declare or deliver the Word to God's people. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is preparing His disciples for time that they're going to go out and they're going to be persecuted and they're going to have to give a defense for the hope that they have and the message they preach. So in Luke 12, 11 through 12, Jesus says, Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Again, the personal activity of the Spirit of God within the life of God's people. The Holy Spirit is personally active in our lives. As we heard from previous passages, but it happens in the Old Testament too. Ethan, why don't you throw up that slide of the list. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit counsels. The Holy Spirit prophesies. It reveals future events. The Holy Spirit chooses and empowers. It testifies. It declares. It confirms our adoption as God's children. It intercedes on our behalf. The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. The Holy Spirit is what is to guide the church in appointing leaders. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit also gives talents. The Holy Spirit is always present with and in God's people. He leads. He forbids. He gives us words to pray. The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed and grieved. Hebrews chapter 12 or chapter 10, verses 28 through 29, we're told that we can actually outrage or insult the Holy Spirit. You can't outrage something, but you can outrage and insult someone. And John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, to which he tells that it is the Holy Spirit which gives new life. These are all important. We're going to take a few moments to walk through a couple of them. The first thing I want us to look at is the Holy Spirit is the seal of our adoption. We should think of it like a spiritual adoption paper that cannot be revoked. It cannot be overturned by any authority or any court in this world. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7 says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And there's so much more we could look at, but if Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that this inheritance that we've been given by God, this spirit inside of us, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's the power of God that dwells in the midst of God's people. Next, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts, and the Holy Spirit gives spiritual talents. And deciphering between gifts and talents can be a little bit tricky. But the Spirit gives gifts and the Spirit gives talents. Both are to be used for the work and the glory of God. Now, talents, let's start there. Talents given by the gifts, by the Spirit, are things that God gives an individual so they can work on it and they can develop it all for His glory is to complete one of his tasks. And so some of us have the spiritual talent of being able to sing. Some of us don't. <laughs> some of us have a spiritual talent to be able to play an instrument or to do carpentry or to fix things or administration or budgeting or parenting. Some of us have the talent to cook or we have computer skills or people skills. And I'm sure you've come across people who are God's people that don't have people skills. But some of us have that talent. And so when it comes to talents, when we look in the Old and New Testament, it is given to an individual to complete the work or task of God. It was not chosen by the individual, but God, through his spirit, gave the individual a desire or a, a, a want to to develop or use that talent. And so we find this throughout the Old and New Testament, that the Spirit draws people to a particular talent in order to complete a task of God. So you may think that you grew up just wanting to do whatever you do today, but the reality is, as God's people, it is the Spirit that drew you to that. That's God leading you. That's why He's your shepherd. That's, that's why He's a personal God. Now let's talk about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not things we develop or work on. Spiritual gifts are gifts that the Spirit of God has given to each of His people to bring Him glory. And so we don't develop these. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So while we may be able to develop talents, we don't develop gifts. That's the Spirit empowering God's people to do the work of God and God's task. So God has gifted his people, and if you are a child of God in this place, God has gifted you with a specific spiritual gift, and it's not going to be like anybody else's spiritual gift. Now, your spiritual gift can be added to, like for a particular cause, like when I was on a mission trip down to Corpus Christi, Texas, we came to a house where no one in the house spoke English. I had taken 
some college Spanish. I had taken some high school Spanish, but it was, what's the word, Ethan? Small, right? <laughs> small low. <laughs> yeah, I like that one better. So we come to this house, and, and we're going door to door, inviting people to come to this revival service that we have, that we're going to be doing for kids and for adults in the evening. And the girl I was with at the house began speaking fluent Spanish to the mother. And when we left, I was like, that is amazing. I'm so glad you're here. I didn't realize that you spoke Spanish that well. And she says, I don't. What happened is the Spirit empowered her with the spiritual gift of some called tongues, but it means languages. She was able to converse back and forth in a different language because the power of the Spirit gave her that gift in that moment. So the Spirit can work in such a way. But He also has given us a gift which we always have, and it is to be used to strengthen the body of Christ, to be used in the church and to the glory of God. So God has gifted His people with different gifts in order for the body of Christ to function properly or to be healthy. So my spiritual gifts, it just keeps coming up, so I keep doing it, is teaching and preaching. Now, not everybody here is spiritually gifted to teach or preach. Some of you are, some of you aren't. Some of you have the spiritual gift of hospitality. I do not. I get nervous when my family comes over, okay? Not like my kids, but like my other family. I'm just not, that's not the way God has built me. My wife has told me as the women's group has been going through Bible study that her spiritual gift is the gift of discernment, which gets me in trouble sometimes, right? And so we're all gifted with different things, and what God does is he gives us a gift. He also has given us a talent in order that he might be glorified through us. And so some of us, Richard Campbell, has the talent to fix stuff or build stuff, and God has given him the spiritual gift of helping. So they work together. I believe Sharla has a spiritual gift of compassion, but she has developed a talent to use it in the world and in the church. That's how it works. So God is empowering us to glorify him, but here's the thing, to be used by him. Nobody is to sit on the sideline. God saved you to use you. And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you're retired. He wants to use you that he might be glorified through you, and he's empowered you with a gift and a talent to do such a thing. So this leads us to another thing. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power. I think we forget that sometimes. You will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, Jesus, what's the purpose of that power? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I used to love Tim Allen, home improvement. Oh, more power, right? That's not this sort of power. This isn't more power. This is the full power of God residing in his people so that all of God's people, can be his witness. That's one of the first things the Spirit is supposed to be doing through you, is that you would be a witness in the world 
for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus promised this in Acts 1. And in Acts chapter 2, if you go and read that later, you see that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit fell upon the followers of Jesus Christ. And you know what they started doing? Witnessing. They started speaking in different languages and witnessing because of all the different types of people that were in Jerusalem on that day so they could all understand the gospel. Now, here's the thing. Not everybody who heard the witness accepted the gospel, but the Spirit empowered them just as much as empowers me and empowers you to witness, to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And so here's what happens. When we take that power and use that power that dwells inside of us and we witness, we proclaim the gospel, we share it, we teach it, however you do it, what you get to see is the full work of the Trinity working through you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is on full display through evangelism. And that's what God wants to do. Trinity is seen in God's people when they teach, when they preach, when they proclaim, when they share the good news. And here's the thing. You might say, well, I can't do that. Pastor Mike, I can't do that. Do you have the Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Then you can. Because God has powered you to do such a thing. And the Bible says the Spirit will give you the words to say. The words to say when you share, when you preach, when you proclaim. The Bible says the Spirit will give you the words to say when you go to pray. You think, we, we sometimes think that it's me praying to God, but actually it's the Spirit speaking through us praying to God. And allowing us to have that access to God. Now perhaps what the biggest change we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament concerning the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit dwells inside God's people. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God dwelled with His people. And at times, the Spirit would come upon His people and fill His people for a particular task. But now that Jesus Christ has died, he has risen from the grave, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Spirit of God now dwells in God's people. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now here's, here's what we've got to reconcile. The Bible says God does not change. Correct? He does not change. So, but this seems like a pretty big change. From Old to New Testament. But once we understand the full doctrine of the, of the Trinity, where you have God the Father... And you have God the Son, and they were always from the beginning just as God the Spirit was. Then we understand God didn't change. He just revealed his full salvation plan. This was God's plan from the very beginning that he would dwell in his people. And now that it has happened, it is the fulfillment of God's eternal salvation plan. In the Old Testament, God revealed to his people that he never intended to dwell in a building built by hands. That was never his desire. His desire was being in the midst of his people and in the hearts of his people. For example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, 
King Solomon is setting out to build the temple of God. His father, David, was not allowed to do it. There's too much blood on his hands. So King Solomon is setting out to build the temple, but he did it with an understanding that it was completely ridiculous to think that the God who created all things would dwell in this building. He understood this was a symbolic building where the presence of God would symbolically be in the presence of his people or in the midst of his people. He says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, the house that I am to build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. But who, who is able to build him a house since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings for him? In 1 Kings, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, he again says, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So King Solomon understood it, that even though they're going to have this great temple, and it was going to be beautiful, that God wasn't actually going to live there. We're not going to send mail to God there. And so we can go bring our offerings and our prayers and we can come to worship him there. It was just going to be a symbolic act that God was in the midst of his people because that's what God wanted from the very beginning. He wanted to be with his people, to be in their midst. In the book of Acts, as Stephen is prepared to be martyred for the faith, he delivers this understanding. Yet the most high God does not dwell in houses by, made by hands. And then he goes on to quote from the prophet Isaiah. See, God's plan was never just to dwell among his people, but in and with his people. See this from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, what is known as the fall of man chapter. Adam and Eve are out in their birthday clothes, right? Serpent slips in. Did God really say? It gets them to fall into temptation. First sin comes in the world, and sin impacts all mankind and all individuals. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, Adam and Eve have already disobeyed God. And it says that the man and woman heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which their reaction caused them to hide. They were ashamed of the way God had created them, the way God had left them there. But when it says that they heard the sound, it, mean, it meant that it was a normal practice for God to come be among his people, that his presence was coming to be with his people. And that was a normal practice. So we don't know how long they were in the garden. There's no date there. But obviously they're there long enough to understand the sound of the Lord coming because God wanted to be with them. Just as God wants to be with us. Finally, most of us probably already know this about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. And when we say equal, we've got to understand it. Equal in all authority. Equal in all power. Equal in all wisdom and strength and presence. Completely equal with God the Father and God the Son. We can gather this from what is known as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, the name of the Son, 
the name of the Holy Spirit. And so we all go out as God's people in all three aspects of God, and all three aspects of God now dwell inside of us as a believer. So when we said, well, I have the Holy Spirit, what I'm saying is I have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit living inside of me. Now I am a temple of God. And he's always with me with the promise he'll never leave me or forsake me, with the promise that nothing can ever separate me from him because I'm his child and he loves me. He died for me. And now for some reason he wants to live inside me to empower me and to guide me. This is why Peter, led by the Spirit, could write these words. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He's given us all things. That's a God who's for us, not against us. That's the God who loves us. That's the God who wants the best for us. What a great God. This brings us to the final question. Do you have the Spirit of God living in you? If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have found forgiveness for your sins and the gift of eternal life, the Bible says you are a child of God the Father, and you are covered in the full righteousness of God the Son, and you have God the Spirit inside of you. But if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life, then you are not a child of God the Father. You are not covered in the full righteousness of God the Son. And you do not have the Spirit of God inside of you. But that can change today. And that's why God, by His Spirit, has drawn you to this place. We've already shared the way that that can change in relationship with God. It can begin this morning, but I want to do it again. It begins by admitting to God that you're a sinner. What that means is that you fall short of His holiness, His perfection. You have things in your life that you know, yeah, probably not right. But you confess to God, God, I am a sinner and I am in need of your forgiveness. Not Pastor Mike's forgiveness. Not mom and dad's, aunt and uncle's. You're in need of God's forgiveness because it's him you've done wrong to. And you tell God that, God, I believe that you sent your only son to die for my sins, to take my full punishment upon the cross And he died on that cross, and they placed him in a tomb. But I believe that he rose three days later in full authority and power of you to grant me forgiveness and give me eternal life. And I believe I need that forgiveness. I need that gift that you have sent for me. And the Bible says if you're in that place where your heart is saying, that's exactly what I need to do, then the Bible says you have to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And here's the promise, and you will be saved. Saved from eternal separation from a God who loves you. If you're here this morning, that's something you need to do. I'm going to be standing here. I'm going to invite you to come down. You can just sit in the front row. 
Say, Pastor Mark, I want to be saved. I need to be saved. And I promise you there will not be a person in this room that will be upset. And I promise you, just because the Bible says that the heavens will erupt. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us. I want to pray over us real quick. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace, Lord. Thank you for these incredible promises that you give us in your word. You truly are a God who is for us. And Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that needs to accept your son, my Savior, as their Savior, to find forgiveness for their sins and be given eternal life, Father, I pray that you would do a great and mighty work in their heart in this moment, that they would understand it and know they need to respond. Lord, thank you for everything that you've already been doing this morning and what you're going to continue to do in the life of this church. We ask you to continue to be glorified. We praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.